How you doing? My name is Ray. I, I usually go to the morning service. It's great to be here to see many of familiar faces, not in the context of weekend away. That's <laughs> great. All right, let's do our second reading. Uh, but I'm going to pray before we start. Why don't we pray? Father, your word gives life. We really want to see your word, but without you, we cannot understand. So please help us to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. Second reading, uh, which is today's passage, chapter 18, verse 31, all the way to the end. That's page 1057. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. What's it like to see Jesus? Well, two years ago, there was a brief article in the Metro newspaper about seeing Jesus. It reads, John, 24 years old, living in Manchester, inserted a slice of wholemeal bread into the toaster at night and was baffled that it popped out with the face of Jesus Christ. He said, I returned from my workplace and found that the only food item in my cupboard was a loaf of bread. He told Metro.co.uk, I popped in two slices of wholemeal bread and discovered that the face of Jesus was beautifully presented to me on one of the slices. So I researched the internet and found that lots of people have seen Jesus this way. Now, people see Jesus' face on the cloud. People see Jesus' face about on, 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 on water stains. But the humble toast remains the most popular median for people to see Jesus' face. Is this the way that Jesus wanted to be seen? A surprise divine revelation through everyday objects? But what about when we share our faith with our friends and families? Often they will say, if I can see Jesus, then I'll believe. What are we to do? How do we respond? Does Jesus want to be seen? How does Jesus want people to see him? Well, today we're looking at episode four of our summer uh, sermon series called 
seeing Jesus. Just to recap, last week uh, we learned about a rich ruler who symbolized the best of humanity. Now, he's wealthy, he's powerful, he's morally upright, he's not registered with Ashley Madison, he recycles all his rubbish, he's a pillar, he's a pillar of our society. Now, this guy went to Jesus and asked a million-dollar question, which is, how can I enter the kingdom of God? And that is just a, another way of saying, can I receive eternal life? Now, Jesus' verdict on this guy's kingdom entrance application was, denied, you are not good enough. And for all the people who were there, heard Jesus' answer, they all erupted like John McEnroe. You cannot be serious! Verse 26, then how can anyone be saved? In response to the uproar, Jesus replied in verse 27, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So we were left with two questions. First, why is it impossible with men? And second, what does God have to do in order to make it possible for us? Well, the answer to both of those questions is in today's passage. And it's a very important passage. Not because I said it is, but because Jesus said it himself. Now, today's passage contains something that Jesus really wants us to see. Which means, by the end of today, if we have understood the passage, that means we have found and grasped the secret to enter the kingdom of God. The secret to have eternal life. A lot is at stake here tonight. But before we dive in, um, let's just get a high-level flow about today's passage. Jesus asked his disciples to see. His disciples couldn't see. A blind beggar who physically cannot see. He went to Jesus to ask him to help him to see, Jesus made the blind beggar see. What's that key word that runs through the entire passage? See, see, brilliant, see. If you got some Spanish friend, he'll be saying, see, see, senor, see. <laughs> right. It's not that difficult to see that the key word is see. Right. So what's the secret to eternal life that Jesus really wants us to see? And that's the first point. Jesus wants us to see the gospel. The word see means to understand, to find, and to grasp. Uh, Look at verse 31. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, here comes the key word, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man, which is just another title for God's chosen king, Everything written about God's chosen king by the prophets will be accomplished. Then jump into the end of the paragraph, verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So when Jesus used the word see, it means to understand, to find, and to grasp everything written about God's chosen king. Now, for English speakers, um, we often use the word see in exactly the same way as Jesus. For example, friends may come to us, pour their hearts out about a difficult problem that they're going through, and after listening to them for a while, 
the penny drop. And we go, ah, oh, finally, I can understand with my brain what's going on. I can sympathize with my heart and feel the pain that they're going through. And in response to that, we say, I see what you mean. Or I see what the problem is. So the word see is more than just observing the physical objects with our eyes. It's understanding with our brain. It's also finding that deeper meaning of what's being communicated and firmly grasping the enormity and the implication of the issue being said. That's what see means. Jesus didn't want his disciples to see him on a cloud or water stain or on a piece of toast. Jesus wants his followers to see everything written about him from the Bible. So reading the Bible is not just a superficial observing the physical text with our eyes. It's about understanding, finding, and grasping the deeper meaning in it. And if our quiet time looks looks like if we wake up in the morning, then just mindlessly scan through a cluster of Times New Roman text uh, printed on sheets of paper, then that's not seeing Jesus. Slow down, think, and pray so that we can really understand everything written about Jesus. And I think we all agree that to be able to see everything written about Jesus is a monumental task. But thankfully, Jesus summarized the entire Bible, 1,200 pages of it, into just two verses. Here is Jesus' summary. Verse 32. For he will be delivered over to Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. The main thing that Jesus wanted all his followers to see is the gospel. That God's chosen king has to die on our behalf, but raised again on the third day to rule forever. Let's slow down for a second and try to see the gospel. Uh, Back in chapter 9, verse 51, Luke says, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, and since then he's been on his journey towards it. And here, finally, in chapter 18, we get a glimpse of what's on Jesus' mind. Our king was determined to fulfill every prophecy about him so that he can save his people. Jesus knew exactly what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. Mocking, flogging, killing. And every step he took was a step closer to his shameful death. And yet he was resolved. He was resolved to save us. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. There are some men without a moment uh, of consideration could do brave notion, but they could not sit down and coolly calculate all the consequences of doing it. Here, our Savior deliberately thinks and talks about his death, yet he never flinches or looks back, but he prepares his heart for the solemn event and sets his face like a flint to go through it all, that he may save the souls of his people." 
one of the questions we saw last week was, what must God do in order to give us eternal life? Well, the answer is the gospel. In order to save us, Jesus must be crucified and raised again on the third day. Are we beginning to see just how extraordinary is the gospel? Let's do some quick reverse engineering. Uh, Jesus is God's chosen king, very important. Yet he has to die for us, which makes his death very costly and very significant. And if a costly and significant death is required to pay for our sin, it means our sin must be unimaginably big and awful. When we wake up in the morning and see ourselves in the mirror, what do we see? Perhaps a relatively nice person with just a few minor character flaws, which we call them personality these days. If that's who we see, then we're not seeing ourselves in the way that Jesus sees us. Otherwise, he didn't have to die for us. And even if we do agree with Jesus' assessment of us that our sin is big and painful, um, we might still be tempted to think that, surely I can pay it off. I can pay it off and earn eternity and earn eternal life myself. People here in Canary Wharf are generally pretty well resourced and very hardworking. We like to plan things. We like to be self-sufficient. We like to be in control. Yes, our sin is bad, but... We can pay it off. It's just, that, it's just like that paying that massive mortgage off or training for the Olympics. Discipline and perseverance will see us through. We will just slowly chip away at our sin one bit at a time. It might take us forever, but eventually it will be paid off. But that's not true. Otherwise, Jesus didn't have to die. His death is not a shortcut to eternal life. It's not an easier alternative to save us the hard work of earning it ourselves. There is no other way. His shameful death in our place is the only way. Verse 27, what is impossible with men is possible with God. There is no other way. The gospel is the only secret to receive eternal life. The gospel is what Jesus wanted us to see, to understand, to find, and to grasp. The message of this Bible, the entire 1,200 pages of it, is eternal life is impossible with men, but possible with God through Jesus. God takes sin very seriously. We've just read the Gospel. And do we feel the weight of sin pressing down on us? And do we feel the liberation that Jesus offered? If not, well, we have a problem. And it's exactly the same problem as the 12 disciples experienced. Verse 34. After Jesus stated the secret to eternal life, even the 12 closest people to Jesus didn't get it. I think Luke puts... Verse 34 here to highlight one thing that is very depressing and very humbling for us. Luke is effectively saying that the scope of humanity's sin is so overwhelming. It's bigger than a giant mountain that not only we can never chip it away, 
we can't even see past it. Effectively, it blocked all our vision, and we are blinded by our sin. So when the secret of life was presented to us by Jesus, in just two verses laid out right in front of them, the disciples couldn't get it. For three years, the disciples saw Jesus doing miracles, heard him explain scriptures, do all kinds of stuff, and yet they couldn't see the gospel, what is laid out right in front of them. Our sin is massive, it's huge, it's blinding. Eternal life really is impossible with men. Jesus wants us to see the gospel. Yet, because of our sin, we are unable to see. So what are we to do? Now, in the IT industry, there's a unique type of problem that exists between the chair and the keyboard. The chair and the keyboard. The chair and the keyboard. That's, that's me, okay? That's user, okay? That's another way of saying user error. Problem between a chair and a keyboard is just another way of saying user error, tongue-in-cheek. And when it comes to understanding the gospel, understanding the Bible, each one of us is an exact example of a problem between chair and the Bible. We all suffer from this blinding user error. By default, we are blinded by our sin, so we cannot see the gospel. How can we see? Why not ask Jesus? And that's the second point. Jesus wants us to see the gospel, so ask Jesus to make us see. Verse 35 to 43 describes how a blind beggar received his sight by asking Jesus in faith. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was, uh, he's a people magnet, so wherever he goes, he draws a crowd. And when he was approaching the city of Jericho, there was a blind beggar sitting by the roadside. And when the beggar heard all the motion and the commotion from the crowd, he was intrigued. So he asked, what's all this fuss about? Why are you guys getting so worked up? And someone from the crowd said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Then the blind beggar began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, that's a bit strange, isn't it? The crowd told the beggar, it's Jesus of Nazareth. But the blind beggar shouted back, Jesus, son of David which is also a title for God's chosen king. Did the blind beggar got Jesus' name wrong? Or did he see something that no one else saw? The crowd saw Jesus of Nazareth, an ordinary name for an extraordinary man. But the blind beggar called Jesus, son of David, God's chosen king. Both are correct names to address Jesus, but clearly one of them is more appropriate than the other. Now, imagine if the queen stands next to me and my job is is to introduce the queen to you lot. I could say, everybody, say hello to Elizabeth Windsor. And and my job is done. And that would have been true. Elizabeth Windsor is her name, and I did introduce her. But that would have been odd if not downright disrespectful. After all, she's, she's royal, she's unique, and she holds an office 
with authority to influence people's lives. So the more appropriate way would have been, ladies and gentlemen, please stand for Queen Elizabeth II. The beggar saw Jesus the way that Jesus wanted to be seen. Now back to the story. Verse 39. All the shouting from the blind beggar upset the crowd. So they told him, hush, be quiet. But the beggar was determined to be heard. He knew Jesus is God's chosen king who has the authority to help him. So he pressed on, even louder still. Son of David, have mercy on me. And this time, Jesus heard the blind beggar's desperate call. So he stopped and commanded like a king. Jesus commanded people to bring the blind beggar to him and asked the blind beggar, what do you want me to do for you? It's fascinating that this King Jesus clearly has the authority to command. Yet when he sees someone who trusts him and asks him for mercy, he began to talk like a servant. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus said. And the blind beggar didn't need to be asked twice. He said, Lord, still addressing Jesus as king, Lord, let me recover my sight. So Jesus told him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And just like many other miracles Jesus performed before, whatever King Jesus commands, it happens straight away. Immediately, verse 43, the blind beggar received his sight. Luke recorded this incident here to teach a very simple point that Jesus can take away this blinding sin if we acknowledge him as God's chosen king and humbly beg him for mercy. This essentially is what faith is. It's about seeing two things. First, seeing ourselves as the blind beggar. We cannot give. We can only receive. We need mercy. Second, seeing King Jesus as the king who is full of mercy and is willing to give. In other words, we have a need. Jesus can fulfill our need. So trust him as our king to fulfill our need. Now, walking around London, often we'll come across uh, beggars on the street. Sometimes I try to imagine what life would be like if I'm the one sitting down there begging. I was quickly struck by just how challenging this idea of begging is to me. Because here in areas like Canary Wharf, people are very qualified. We're relatively healthy. We're financially stable. On top of that, we have connections. We have network to friends and families who are also very resourceful. There just seem to be layers and layers and layers of safety nets that we can depend upon. We are just like that rich ruler, which we saw last week's passage. And even if we see beggars on the streets, the concept of begging ourselves is actually quite distant and quite alien to us. And say, for example, today, even if we have none of those safety nets that I've just mentioned, there is still one more hurdle that we've got to jump through. I think our pride is still in the way. I think deep down inside, some of us might think, I'd rather die than beg. But it doesn't matter how many safety nets or how strong our pride is, the reality remains the same. 
when it comes to eternal life, the Bible sees us as blind beggars. We cannot give. We can only receive. We are helpless unless Jesus intervenes. Jesus wants us to see the gospel. So ask Jesus to make us see. And what happens after Jesus restored the blind beggar's sight? Let's keep on looking. Verse 43. The blind beggar recovered his sight and followed Jesus, glorifying God. I love how Luke used the word follow. Because we cannot follow somebody unless we can see that person. So sight is actually necessary for discipleship. And when the blind beggar received his sight, the first thing he did was to fix his eyes on Jesus so he could follow him. Now, before SatNav was invented, I used to get pretty worked out. I used to get pretty stressed out about road trips because I drive like James May on Top Gear. I'm slow, I'm lost all the time. But my life changed completely when I met my friend Thomas. You see, Thomas, he's amazing. He was born with a GPS built in his brain. He could navigate anywhere with ease. His sense of direction was just so precise. And having Thomas in our road trip was brilliant. Thomas would be the one driving way out the front, and for the rest of us commoners, who would just behind and driving along and just follow Thomas. We fix our eyes on Thomas's car. We do exactly what Thomas do. Uh, Thomas turned, we turn. Thomas slow down, we slow down. Thomas go to toilet, we all go to toilet. <laughs> the key was very simple. It was a very simple thing. Keep Thomas in our sight. As long as we have Thomas in our sight, we can follow and we'll be fine. Christians are people who seize the gospel and be able to see Jesus because our eyes have been opened by Jesus. Let us give thanks for our merciful King to fix our eyes and let us fix our eyes on him. Let's always follow him. Never let Jesus leave our sight. It's the best thing we can do with our eyes. Perhaps you've been... Um, looking into the Christian faith for a while, and you earnestly wanting to believe in Jesus. Maybe you've attended uh, Christianity Explorer once, uh, read through the gospel several times, and had hundreds of conversations with your friends about the gospel, but you don't understand it, and it's frustrating. And I I hope that after today's passage, um, we understand that seeing the gospel is not like studying for an exam. It's not just one-way efforts from us. We cannot see the gospel by ourselves. It's impossible with men. Trying to recover sight with our own effort alone is like that blind beggar going to medical school, studying really, really hard, hoping that one day he's able to find a scalpel and start operating on his eyes to make himself see. It's crazy. It's dangerous, and it will never work. It's impossible with men. Instead, we need somebody to intervene. Someone who has the perfect vision. Someone who has the qualification, the willingness. Someone who is merciful to answer a blind beggar's call and fulfill the blind beggar's need like a servant. We need King Jesus. So go ask him in faith. 
Don't depend on our own efforts. Trust Jesus that he will make you see. Uh, if today is the very, very first time you heard the gospel, and you're wondering, what's all this fuss about? Just like the blind beggar, what's this fuss about? Why are you guys getting so worked up? What's it like to be able to see Jesus and his gospel? Well, C.S. Lewis answered it this way. To ask me to describe how does it feel to be a Christian is like a blind person asking a seeing person, what's the difference between red and blue? Is it like the difference between the sound of a trumpet and a piano? He's right. How can anyone who is unaware of his sin feel any joy when his sin has been dealt with? Just like the disciples earlier in in verse 34, when they didn't understand the gospel, they showed no response to it. I'm not saying this to offend. Certainly not saying this to show off. But as an encouragement for you to go to Jesus and ask him to give you sight. I hope that one day you will also experience the relief and knowing that all of your sin has been paid and having this sure hope of eternal life waiting for you. There is a sense of peace and joy that cannot be found anywhere else apart from seeing Jesus Christ. So when uh, friends and family friends and family ask, if I see Jesus, then I'll believe. Well, I think with today's passage, we can actually say, yeah, yeah, that's right. If you see Jesus, if you see gospel the way that Jesus wanted to be seen, then yeah, you will believe. So let's pray for them. Let's pray for them that they can see themselves as the blind beggar, that they can see Jesus as the merciful king. Pray that one day we will be together and all praise God for what was written about Jesus in Isaiah 42. God said, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Seeing Jesus is not seeing a man's face burned onto a piece of breakfast. It's understanding and grasping the meaning of the gospel. The message of the whole Bible is this. Eternal life is impossible with men, but impossible with God through Jesus. Jesus wants us to see the gospel, so let's go to him and ask him to make us see.